0: dot com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: england my best of frenemies i know it's over but my sincerest congratulations this new england played with a refreshing swagger and joy fueled by a quiet youthful confidence and a comfortable identity and all without a hint of controversy you actually got me to believe no small feat Hello so Sunshine and welcome to the State of the Union Podcast, where we look at the beautiful game through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. My friend, my colleague, a Fox writer and a researcher extraordinaire, my guiding light, Mr. David Mossy, are you on the other end of this telephone, but in the same city that I am, which is St. Petersburg?
2: I'm good. Uh, No, I am back in Moscow. St. Petersburg for me was a one day trip and it was one to remember. Uh, I don't know how you're feeling about it, but I was absolutely enamored by that city. I loved every second of being there. I went to the Hermitage Museum, which for an art lover like me, this was like dropping a sex addict into the Playboy Mansion. Best museum I've ever been to in my life. It makes the Louvre look like LACMA. I was absolutely blown away. I lived up to the hype. And the rest of the day, too, I went to St. Isaac's Cathedral. I took a boat ride around St. Petersburg, Winter Palace. I mean, it was incredible to me. Loved
1: loved the trip. It is. It is a gorgeous city. Anybody that that goes to Russia, and certainly for us that were in Moscow for the whole month, immediately people will tell you, you got to go to St. Petersburg. You got to go to St. Petersburg. So I am actually there. Uh, I'm coming back today. Uh, We are recording this on Friday. It is. It's a gorgeous city. It's really, really interesting. It's very, very different than Moscow. Uh, And it was good, as I said, for those of us that have been kind of cooped up in in Moscow for the months, kind of get out and and see something else. So uh, we will be back because obviously we have games uh, still this weekend. The third place game on Saturday and the uh, final obviously on Sunday. We have not talked to you. Since the uh, since before the semifinal games, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But as everybody knows, in those semi-final games, England is going home. It is not going home, but England is going home. Croatia going on to the final, and uh, France was uh, in, in, in what has to be said in easy fashion, I shall say, against uh, Belgium. They beat them in the semi-finals, and they will be going on uh, to the final. But as always. We start the podcast with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it is the State of the Union, and it goes a little something like this. England, my best of frenemies. I know it's over, but my sincerest congratulations. Seeing you in this tournament shedding the burden of history has truly warmed the cockles of my ginger heart. You should be chuffed. In the matter of a fortnight, this team rekindled a hope and optimism that was lost long ago and that many thought would never return. This new England played with a refreshing swagger and joy fueled by a quiet, youthful confidence and a comfortable identity, and all without a hint of controversy. You actually got me to believe. No small feat. The culture of negativity, cynicism, and expectation of failure has been put asunder. In its place... A group of players that laugh at the ghosts of the past and create legends of the future. Sir Gareth Southgate and co. have ushered in a new mentality that's enviable, progressive, and powerful. In truth, I'm gobsmacked. Yes, you lost. But that traditional moment for England where it all goes pear-shaped never really came. You wouldn't let it. And I know we've sparred over the years. Me taking the mickey out of you and you of me. And we'll continue to do so. Quality bands and all. But for now, I say well played. You've been a welcome breath of fresh air at this World Cup. And yes, for, I'm going to say it, football. This team was Dench. And so while it may not be coming home, you are coming home winners. You won the hearts of this country. You won the hearts of many around the world and the respect. And ultimately, you won the heart of this game. And that is my State of the Union for this week. A week when England is going home, I still thought it was appropriate and something I wanted to do to talk about this England team. Uh, David Massey, were you as taken by this England team in this tournament as I was, and that many were? Or do you think that we are blowing this out of proportion? I'm in the
2: blowing it out of proportion camp. Listen, they had a good World Cup, a successful World Cup. The fans who had become very jaded by their past failures at major tournaments really liked this team. The coming home stuff was fun. So all that is true. But then you take a step back. They beat Tunisia and Panama in the group stage. Sweden and a Colombia team minus James Rodriguez on penalties in the knockout rounds. And they lost to Belgium and Croatia. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say they exceeded expectations. Yes, the the way we thought the draw was going to shake out, I did not have the bracket was going to shake out. I did not have England going to the semifinal. So in that sense, they exceeded expectations. But the way the bracket did shake out, uh, I mean, I thought they were favored in every game they played in in the knockout round. So, I mean, there was no result I looked at in this tournament and was like, wow, England, that's very impressive that they did that. So I think when the dust settles here, (laughs) um, there is going to be a little bit of a pushback against this notion that this was a magical run. And, and the players should be welcomed back like heroes. A pat on the back, a good job. Yes, like I said, this was absolutely, positively, undoubtedly a successful World Cup for England. But if you're asking me honestly, I do think the whole thing has been a little bit blown out
1: of proportion. Why do you have to be such a debut downer? I mean, look, why can't you just give little old England the uh, the uh, little engine that could, punching above their weight, uh, just giving giving it all... Uh, stiff upper lip, all that kind of stuff. Why can't you just give them this one moment to be something that they haven't been, which is a team that is positive, which is a country that is positive, which is a culture that is positive and optimistic and full of joy about their team. And at the very least, at the very least winning on the, uh, in the penalty shootout against Colombia and vanquishing all of the uh, ghosts and demons from the past and putting that away so that they can move on uh, unburdened by this incredible albatross and dark history when it comes to penalties. At the very least, can't that be viewed as a positive that they have given this uh, this nation going, going forward? Now, look, I, I agree with you that any team that goes out in the semifinal, there's a chance that you can go back and say, hey, they lost two games because they could have lost in the group stage. You have to get out of the group stage, which they did without a problem. They made it through their group, and then they got through in that uh, in that incredible fashion against Colombia. And all everything that you said is true, but I don't think that it should diminish the fact that this team captured hearts and minds uh and and around the world and of me that's all fine and well but more importantly of the people back home and that you had an english public that for so long has been so cynical about about not just their team but but oftentimes just about about the sport when it comes to the national team and the world cup and completely uh, changed the way that they think about it now that as i said. There's no small feat for these this group of players, uh, and for the uh, England manager in Gareth Southgate, who, by the way, if not for uh, you know a, a one thing going this way or this way on a specific day, would not have been there. He was he was an emergency uh, replacement uh, and someone that they just felt comfortable with. Which brings me to my other point was this this is also not something that should come as a surprise, given the success that England has had at the youth level, given some of the youth that they have brought into uh, into this team. And the fact that on previous teams, it was about stars. It was about larger-than-life type of figures just not living up to it. And while there's certainly stars on this team, uh, this was as much a team effort as, you've, as I think I've seen from an England team uh, in, in a long time. And I think that's what translated. And I think England was dying for something good and something positive out of a, uh, out of a World Cup. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I will say that it was fun to see, as you mentioned, for us that are telling stories. It was a great story to have on a consistent basis throughout the, uh, the World Cup. And because there are so many connections and relationships between the American soccer game and the influence of the England soccer game, and whether it's watching EPL, whether it's the, all, the, all the expats, whether it's the incredible influence that English coaches have had, you know, we are always going to gravitate and, and maybe more so than any other culture to what's going on uh, with England. And I, I was happy for them, uh, for, for them ultimately. Do you think that they, as they would say, kick on from this and use this as a positive going forward? Uh, or, or do I get the feeling that it would still not surprise you in the least if uh, they reverted to form and in the next tournament, flatter to deceive and were underperforming?
2: No, you actually uh, just made a point that I I was going to make. I do think there's a lot of optimism moving forward. You mentioned the success at youth level. You have the Phil Foden's and the Jaden Sancho's coming up, and you're going to pair them with loads of players on this team that are certainly young enough to play another World Cup at a high level, the Canes, the Rashford's, the Ollies, the Lingard's, the Sterling's, the Dyer's, the Loftus-Cheeks, the Stones, the Maguire's, the Pickford's the Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, yeah, there's a very impressive young nucleus there that, like I said, when you, when you factor in some of the young, young guys coming up that are going to be added to the mix for the next World Cup, uh, I do think the future is bright. So, you know, we can end on a positive note there. Although I will say Phil McNulty of the BBC wrote what I thought was a pretty good article talking about also what a missed opportunity this was because uh, you're never going to have a better path laid out to you to get to a final. And then they would have faced what I think is an eminently beatable France team. So that is the other side of this too. You know, it, it, frankly, England, it reminded me a little bit of the U.S. in 2014, because a, as you were in it, it felt like this magical run. And then when you take a step back from it and just look at the results, you wonder, well, was it really that impressive? You know, we won one out of four games. You know, that I think there was that feeling uh, amongst U.S. fans afterwards. And like I said, when the dust settles, I think England, their fans might look at this run a little differently. But in the moment, they all seem very excited about it. So I, I won't pour cold water too much on it. But but. Certainly, I think the future is very bright. Uh, I love everything they're doing at youth level. Uh, they've done an incredible job there, and I think it is going to bear fruit at the senior level. We already saw it uh, to some degree in this World Cup, and I think certainly moving forward it will even
1: more. Well, if indeed it is a, a Brigadoon type of existence uh, after, uh, after some time when England fans and, and others look back at it, uh, it was a wonderful month, and it was a wonderful Brigadoon existence to be around, uh, and I'm re- I was really happy for... My, my friends and colleagues uh, that, that, that are English and that just to see them react to this team and to see how important it was to them. All right, let's go, let's go to the other side, though, because uh, let's not talk about losers. Let's talk about winners and let's talk about Croatia going through and, and going through uh, once again on penalties. And this is a, this is a Croatia team that is it, is it a good Croatia team, I guess is my first question to you. Uh, they, if you're going to the World Cup final, you have to be good to a certain extent, but this team going through uh, not uh, two, two on penalties and then one uh, on extra time, is, is this team first and foremost good? And, and secondly, is it good enough to beat France?
2: Uh, it's an excellent team. They absolutely deserve to be in the final. Um, I do wonder if they're still going to have any legs left after, as you mentioned, having to play three extra times in their last match matches. But yeah, Eileen France uh, in this final, I think they're the most complete team in the tournament. Uh, the way Varane and Omtiti are playing at the back, Conte and Pogba in the midfield, and Griezmann and Mbappe up front. Um, the, one, the one issue would be Giroud, who uh, is going to start, hasn't scored a goal yet. You know, I think it's, <laughs> it's nice that Dechamps is sticking up for him, but I don't know. To me, when you ask a, a manager about his striker, and the first thing he mentions is his work rate, uh, that's kind of like somebody setting up with a girl and the first thing they mention is she has a nice personality. You know, it's it's, it's fine, but it's not really the, the character trait that you're most interested in there. So uh, they do have this issue with Giroud up there, who's really lost his confidence in front of goal. But, you know, it, it hasn't uh, affected them so far. They've been resourceful. They've found other ways to score goals. And so uh, I lean France in the final, I think we're looking at France winning their second World Cup. But Croatia certainly capable. It'd be interesting to be interested, see if Dalic goes with uh, Brozovic in the midfield, which pushes Modric higher up. Or Cromrich, um, that you know, he's got that decision to make. But no, I, I expect a very good final here. Croatia, I think, are, are, are worthy of being here. And you know, we, we've talked earlier in this tournament about how there's never been a quote unquote Cinderella World Cup champion. Now, I know Croatia have a roster loaded with players of pedigree who play in Europe's biggest clubs, but I, I think this would qualify. This would be the most surprising champion in World Cup history. They'd be the ninth nation to lift the trophy. And I think, you know, it, it, in years to come, we would look at that list of countries and they would stick out like a sore thumb as being like the outlier of like, wow, that, 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 that came out of nowhere Croatia. So, so, yeah, that's something to look forward
1: to as well. When we look at the semifinal between Croatia and England, I, I guess my question to you would be, what did Croatia do uh, or what didn't England do when it came to that, se- that semifinal? We know how the goals were scored, and, uh, but wh- why do you think Croatia went through against England?
2: Well, that game really turned late in the first half. I thought England made a great start. They get the the goal early on with Trippier with the free kick. They could have doubled their lead. Harry Kane, that that slightly odd play there where he he got called off sides. so, I mean, I guess the goal maybe wouldn't have counted, but I don't know. Maybe it would have been reviewed on VAR. But yeah, then late in the first half, I thought Croatia really kicked it up a gear. And yeah, I thought it was it was that midfield. Their, their possession was, was brilliant in the second half. And, and Rakitic and Modric were able to just find those holes in that England back line. And they kept creating chance after chance. Perisic, very active. Mandzukic. Uh So, you know, they've, they've got a lot of talent. Uh, and, and it really showed. And like I said, late in the first half and the second half, and and. For much of the extra time, although England actually did have that incredible chance in the extra time where John Stones had a header that was cleared off the line by Rosalco, so they could have perhaps poached the winner there. But uh, but no, I just think you know when you have a couple of midfielders like Modric and Rakitic that can dictate the tempo of any game, and, and you know you're you're always in in good shape. And I thought they did that for sure in this one. Uh,
1: we've talked so much about set pieces in this tournament, and obviously uh, England uh, they they were married to set pieces. And I've seen people. Uh, talk about the fact that they think it was too much set-piece focused and that that was all that they had and they didn't have enough when it came to creativity and in the run of play and my, my my point to them was and you just mentioned it you know England had a set-piece yes a set-piece situation where they had a ball cleared off the line so it once again worked and if not for a wonderful defensive play the ball would have gone in the back of the net and so I, I bristle a little bit at this notion that you're too predictable if all you are is is set pieces. Number one, in order to get set pieces, you have to earn them. Uh, oftentimes when you talk about corner kicks and free kicks and stuff like that, that in itself is a skill and that obviously comes within the run, run of play. And number two, if the ball had been cleared off the line in a run of play type of situation, then then you would have been a better team now that that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me so i just this this notion that ultimately what was their bread and butter and something that obviously worked for them for the tournament when they went to the well it was dry that that's what ultimately uh, hurt them in the end i, I don't buy that for uh, for for one for one second when we go to the other semifinal. The France-Belgium game, you've talked a little bit already about France and, and you believe that while this is a good team, it's certainly a, a beatable team. Were you a little disappointed in Belgium, uh, in this golden generation? And do you think that ultimately when Belgium looks at this tournament, they will, they will look at it with, uh, as, a, as a success uh, or a failure?
2: Well, first off, Thibaut Courtois had a lot to say in this tournament, and he was very critical of France. I did not think France were that negative in that game. I thought it was a pretty even game, frankly, and, and France were good value for their win. They got to go off a set piece, uh, Um Titi, and I don't know that Belgium created enough in that game to feel like they, they were hard done by the result. Um, no, but I still think overall it's a successful World Cup uh, for Belgium. But, you know, it's a missed opportunity for sure to win the World Cup, but but. I think getting to the semifinals, beating Brazil along the way. And, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk about that game because we didn't do a pot after the quarterfinals, which is probably a good thing because I was still steaming about it. Uh, but no, uh, I think their star showed up. De Bruyne, Lukaku, Hazard, who against Brazil was matched up with Fagner and proceeded to have statistically the best dribbling performance at a World Cup match since 1966. He was 10 for 10 but there's still people on Twitter that think I'm being too hard on Wagner. Uh but I'll, I'll I'll leave that alone. So no, I think overall a good tournament for Belgium for Roberto Martinez. And, you know, you go out at a hard fought semifinal to France. I think you can live with it. So uh, yeah, I, I I don't have any issues with Belgium, but yeah, I think France, uh, like I said, I think Thibaut Courtois was way out of line with his comments. I think France uh, played well enough to, to, to win that game and uh, should make no apologies about it. And like I said, I think they're the most complete team in this tournament. Uh, and, uh, and I think, Absolutely deserve to be in the
1: final. All right, well, you brought it up, so let's tag this segment before we go to the next segment where we're going to preview the uh, the final. Let's tag it because we didn't get a chance to with your overall thoughts about this Brazil team so much uh, So many people were so positive about this team and they were going to put right what happened uh, to them four years ago with the seven one, uh, and it didn't come to fruition. So in general, what are your thoughts as a Brazilian? on the way that this Brazilian team came, played, and then left this tournament?
2: Well, very disappointed to go out in the quarterfinals. And as far as that Belgian game, look, everything I'm about to say, Brazil could have still won that game if their finishing had been better. They, they missed, uh, from start to finish, incredible amount of chances. I know Roberto Martinez got a lot of praise for his game plan on that game, but his game plan didn't include playing defense because uh, from the first minute to the last, Brazil just waltzed right into that box time after time, had so many chances. And, and were just wasteful and couldn't put them away. And so had they had their finishing been better, they could have moved on, even with everything I'm about to say. But the issue in that game, and it's something I mentioned going into the tournament, is uh, this Brazil team you saw in this World Cup was not the team you saw from qualifying. That team had Renato Augusto in the midfield, and Coutinho pushed up as far to the front three. It wasn't as flashy as this one, but it was more balanced, more compact. Um, and once Renato Augusto suffered this dip in form, then Chichi... Uh, vacillated between two different options, starting Fernandinho in the midfield, which made Brazil a little bit lacking the creativity, made it too much of a plotting midfield, or starting Coutinho deeper, which made us kind of vulnerable defensively. And I think he, he was comfortable enough with what he saw in the first four games to stick with the Coutinho lineup against Belgium. But I was nervous going into it, especially because you were also taking out Casemiro, who uh, you know, is a more physically imposing presence than Fernandinho. And so uh, that, that did feel like a very soft lineup defensively going into a game against Belgium and the talent they have. And the warning signs were there against Mexico. Mexico, that, that game was a track meet too. Mexico had loads of chances, loads of space. Uh, but the difference is Mexico's front three of Chicharito, Vela, and Lozano isn't as good as Belgium's of Hazard, Lukaku, and De Bruyne. And so against those three, you give up that kind of space uh, in the midfield. It was unbelievable. In the first half, every time Belgium won the ball, they, they were off and running on like a two-on-two, three-on-three fast break. And so, I mean, I, I just thought Brazil were, were, were far too unbalanced in that game, uh, far too vulnerable defensively. Um, and, and the Fagner thing was an issue. I'm sorry. People think i pick on him, but I mean, he was both against Mexico and Belgium. He, he was the outlet the whole game. Anytime those teams got in trouble, they knew they could belt the ball down that wing. And one of their players when they, was going to get to it before Fagner. He was constantly out of position. He had to commit fouls. Uh, he obviously contributed nothing going forward. So uh, to me, having that weak link at right back really hurt, too. So... Uh, overall, you know, it was a winnable game against Belgium, like I said, but, you know, I, I understand the reasons they lost uh, and I can't complain too much about it. And uh, very, very bitterly disappointing to go out in the quarterfinals of this World Cup. All
1: right, Mossy. Well, I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about your beloved uh, Brazil uh, in this tournament, and I think you have put them to bed sufficiently. All right. Let's talk about the final. Moving on. All right, David, let's preview the final. Obviously, we have France with Croatia. But before we do that, let's just have a little bit of mention for the third place game. Um, This is something that people argue about. And I'd I'd like to get your thought first and foremost uh, on... Not not what's going to happen on the field, because I think it's actually going to be a very interesting and good game. And, and oftentimes these third place games uh, are wide open and there's goal scoring and there's obviously less pressure on the players. But just, just in general, do you see a value of even having a third place game?
2: I could do without it, but I also don't mind it as much as others do. Like you said, it, it, it tends to be a fun game sometimes because teams play looser and, and, and you give some players a chance to play that haven't played much throughout the tournament and they're, they're they They want to make the most of the opportunity. So yeah, I don't mind it at all. Uh, and you know, this could be a pretty good one. Actually, Belgium, England, uh, you know, obviously they played a game in the group stage that, uh, didn't matter that much. So both, both teams fielded essentially their, their reserves. Um, and we'll see what the managers do here, but, uh, yeah, I don't have a huge issue with it, is I guess how I'll leave it.
1: Many, many years ago, uh, back in the 1900s, when I was playing for the U.S. national team, uh, we played in the Copa America, and we lost in the semifinals. This would have been 1995, and we lost in the semifinals, and so we were uh, we had to play a third-place game uh, against Colombia. And I, I will tell you uh, honestly – the, uh, the U.S. players, uh, we we were not up on it. And we had, we had just exhausted ourselves physically and mentally just to get to the semifinal. And it was a, a come down and a letdown to have to play in that third place game. And I'll never forget Bora. We ended up losing to Colombia. I'll never forbe- forget Bora Militinovic, who, who was our coach at the time, talking to us after and being so disappointed, understanding the the, the natural human reaction, but impressing upon us the difference between finishing third and finishing fourth. And especially for a team like the United States. And and I think back to someone like Sweden, who is so proud of their third place finish in, in the World Cup and took it seriously and recognized that there was a difference between finishing third and, and finishing fourth. And for two teams like England right now and what they are and what they're hoping to be, I I do hope that they take it seriously. I think that they will. There is a chance certainly for players that haven't played. And just to say that you've played in a world cup is, is important and started in a world cup and all of those, all of those different things. But, but ultimately it comes down to many, many years from now when it lists the first, second and third, one of these two teams is going to be there. And, And you know, that, that's, that may or may not change a team's mentality when they go into a game like this. I think that there is a value to having the game. I recognize as you do that for the players uh, and and for the public to a certain extent, it is a, a a letdown, but it does offer us an opportunity to see teams and players play unburdened with you know some of the pressure and some of the shackles that maybe we have seen through this tournament and I I would just caution when you see it you might you 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 might want to say oh you know why didn't this team show up well it's a very different mentality and a very different approach to these uh, third place games but ultimately someone's going to get that medal and be that third place team that forever is going to be that third place team and the, the team that shows up I think I don't even think this is about the ability of the teams. I think it's ultimately about the mentality that they that, uh, show up. And from a, from a tournament standpoint, I would love to see if both of these teams throw out their best lineup because in that group stage, we didn't see that when England played against Belgium. So we'll see what happens. That happens on uh, Saturday. We will be covering it. Uh, and we're hoping for some fireworks and just some free form type of play from both of these teams that certainly are capable of doing it. But the uh, piece de resistance, if you will, is on Sunday with the final France against Croatia. We talked a little bit about it in the previous uh, previous segment. Uh, I will say right now that I think that this is a bridge too far for Croatia. I think that they will um, – they have gone to the well now three times when it comes to playing uh, 120 minutes and certainly for a couple of those uh, going to penalties. It's not that they aren't capable. It's not that they don't have a belief in themselves uh, and it 's not that this tournament, uh, if nothing else has shown us that anything can happen. I just think that France is going to be even 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 if all things were equal. I still think that France is a uh, a better team. I know you think that they are beatable, which is absolutely the case, and it shouldn't it, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise or upset, certainly, if Croatia were to beat France. Um, but I look at this just in general right now if I to, if I have to pick someone uh, I'm picking France. What so say you?
2: Yeah, like I said earlier, I'm I'm leaning France too. I think they're the most complete team at this tournament with, with Varane and Umtiti doing at the back and Conte and Pogba in the midfield and Griezmann and Mbappé in the attack. Uh you know, these two countries played in the 1998 semifinals and uh just to get Brazil in there one more time. Uh Brazil had uh defeated the Netherlands on penalties. A, a Dutch team uh featuring uh, two of your current colleagues, uh, Clarence Seedorf uh and and Gus Hiddink on the bench. Um, and so Brazil had had advance to the final the day before, I, and I watched that game, waiting to see who we were going to face, and obviously desperately wanted it to be Croatia because we'd have a much better chance facing Croatia than facing the home nation, France, in the final. And Davar Sukar scored a goal, uh, I want to say it was early in the second half, to give Croatia the lead. And there was, like, about a minute there, and that's all it was literally, where, like, I remember turning to my dad and saying, like, wow, we're going to win the World Cup because there's no way we're losing the Croatia in the final. And then Lilian Sudan came back and got an equalizer and then got another goal to give France a 2-1 win. And it, it, was, it was, you know, very disappointing <laughs> to face France instead of Croatia. Kind of the similar sensation I had in this tournament when Japan were leading Belgium 2-0 and it looked like they were going to be facing Japan in the quarterfinals and then Belgium had that great comeback. So uh, that's all of that is to say there is some World Cup history between these two countries. Uh, they met in 98. They meet again. But, yeah, I think we're headed for the same outcome. Uh, France is a better team. They should win it. Uh, they should be celebrating, come Sunday, their second World Cup title.
1: Do you think they do it in 90 minutes?
2: Yes. Uh, they, they find a goal somewhere, I think, 1-0, 2-0, nil, nil, something like that. You know, it's interesting, too. We talked about, in the lead-up to this tournament, what the World Cup, um, how, how it would impact the Ballon d'Or race uh, this year. And a word on that because it's a topic that's come up. Um, Listen, the, the, the precedent in this age of Messi and Ronaldo is that unless the World Cup is won by a team that has a, a flashy superstar, people default back to the club stuff, the Champions League. Uh, Messi won it in 2010, Ronaldo won it in 2014. And I know there's, there's this growing sentiment about Luka Modric winning the Ballon d'Or. If Croatia win the final, uh, I think you definitely have a case there. Uh, him having also won the Champions League with Real Madrid and then leading Croatia through the World Cup title which is you know a mind-boggling achievement uh but if if they lose this final i don't see it uh then i i think the question would be is there a player on france that you think has an overall strong enough resume to win it a griezmann or mbappe or or do you default back then to, to, to the club stuff champions League, and then that means cristiano ronaldo winning it again because uh he had another banner season for real madrid uh they won the champions league for the third straight Uh, And it's not like he had a bad World Cup. He had a hat-trick in Spain, four goals in four games. And so I think his overall resume still stacks up better than anybody else's, and Ronaldo would win it. But I think that's where we're at um, heading into this final here. If Croatia win it, there's there's a case we made for Modric, finally breaking that uh, Messi-Ronaldo duopoly of the last decade. Uh, Or if France wins it, then you're looking at possibly Griezmann or Mbappe. But definitely... Saying all that, I wouldn't rule out Ronaldo winning it again because I don't know if any of the players I just mentioned has the juice overall to win that award.
1: Yeah, I don't think that the result in the in the World Cup final changes the Bologna or, but but as it as it applies to to Modric, I mean this guy has been phenomenal this tournament and without getting in too much into the weeds and the backstory, but it is a fascinating backstory when it comes to Luka Modric and his um, the way that he is viewed. Uh, by his his country and the uh, and the oftentimes very critical and negative response that people have to him, not as a player, uh, but as a person, and you can go check it out. We're not going to get into it uh, too much uh, too much here, but uh, he is he is playing this tournament right now, and he is a a machine. and he is this incredible combination of skill and technical ability. With an engine that is is off the charts and so much so that you know, he was you know, he covered the most distance in that uh, in that semifinal he is oftentimes you will see him with a level of energy for by the way once again a team that now for three games in a row has gone 120 minutes a level of energy that that is unmatched and, and pretty incredible to see from what you would consider a flair and creative and attacking and technical type of player. And we don't always associate the, um, the work rate and the physical nature when it comes to a player like that. So he is, he is something to behold and has been phenomenal at this tournament, Uh, even working under, uh, under, under a situation where he comes in for a lot of criticism for, you know, his actions off the field when it comes to the way Croatia views him. But okay. When it comes to this, uh, to this final, Uh, Do you think, when we're looking at at France, uh, let's look at a specific. Let's look at uh, Kylian Mbappe, who has made so many headlines and really used this World Cup as a coming-out party. Uh, This, And I'm going to go back to your Brazilian roots, and I mentioned this on the air the other day, because of this inevitable compare and contrast when a teenager does well uh, and is leading a team, well, he's not necessarily leading a team, but is is playing well and scoring goals in a World Cup. Do you think that this is a, a fair comparison because, as, as we reminded viewers the other day, when it comes to the goals that, that Pele scored back in fifty eight for, for Brazil as a teenager, and by the way, as a teenager, a 17-year-old teenager, teenager, as opposed to a 19-year-old teenager, do you think it's a fair compare and contrast? And if so, is Mbappe in any sense uh, on the level of what Pele was at that time? Playing, you know, playing about to play in a final of a World Cup and being an integral part of this World Cup team. So while it was a lot of talk about Pelé back in '58, it wasn't—he wasn't the only player on the team. It was still a very, very good team. So do you think it's unfair, uh, or do you think it's fair, and do you think it's applicable when it comes to this compare and contrast between Mbappé and Pelé?
2: I think it's fair, and people can get mad at me for saying that. But uh, to me, he is a transcendent talent. Uh, you know, the, the comparison I keep making, which I, I prefer, is to the original Ronaldo. Um, but sure, if people want to go all the way back to Pele because of, obviously, what they've done as teenagers in World Cups now. Yeah, I mean, Mbappe, since that Argentina game, he's played well, but he hasn't totally built off of that. He hasn't scored in the last couple of games. Pele, I mean, in 58, as you, know, as you mentioned, a hat-trick in the semis against France and two in the final against Sweden as a 17-year-old. That's just mind-boggling. And so, yeah, I mean, Mbappe, we'll see what he does in the final, but uh, there's a chance that the numbers just aren't going to stack up. And, and 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 i mean look the, the odds of him being pele a lot of things have to go right in the next 10 15 years but i i, I think it's, it's at least you know it's, it's not crazy to me i think he's he's that special of a talent that uh, we could be looking at a really really transcendent career here uh, a guy who i think certainly uh when when messi and ronaldo exit the stage is positioned to be the best player in the world for uh for many many years and and uh you know, getting a World Cup title here at 19 and being an integral part of it, boy, it's a, it's a pretty good jumping off point here for whatever he's going to become.
1: Uh, and when it comes to, the, you know, his coach, Mbappe's coach, I think Didier Deschamps has done a, a wonderful job of having that balance. And we do know that at times in the past, this France team uh, had uh, you know, was tended to find ways to shoot themselves in the foot and to implode. And I think coming into this tournament, uh, if I remember correctly, at times I was asked about France and I said, well, they're either going to bomb out spectacularly in the group stage or they're going to win the world cup. And we have seen him pull, pull all the strings and all the right strings and, and put this wonderful balance and this balance of experience with, with youth together. Um, I think that they're, they're a confident team. As I, as I mentioned, they're, they're good all the way down the, uh, uh, the middle of the field, when it goes from goalkeeper to the the the, uh, the center backs that we've mentioned, and all the way through, uh, this is this is a solid and balanced uh, a France team as we have seen in a in a long time. And I think that they are feeling it. I think that they will be uh, licking their chops against a Croatia that will not fear France. And certainly, uh, there comes a point when it comes to fatigue. And I know people talk a lot about fatigue, physical and mental fatigue. what Croatia has done, this is their this is their norm now. So it, 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 even after another 120 minutes, they, I don't think that they feel surprised at themselves for what they are doing and the fact that they are in this, uh, in this moment. I just think when it comes to the, the talent and the ability that they are going to face in, in France, that will win out on the day. And I do believe it will win out in, uh, in, in 90 minutes. All right. Anything you want to do uh, in terms of putting a bow on this, uh, this final before we get set for it on Sunday? No, I mean, I guess the next time you'll hear
2: from us, uh, would be back in LA, uh, wrapping up this tournament. And I am very, very sad to see it come to an end. Uh, I've loved every minute of it. I've loved the work covering it. And I've loved just being in Moscow, uh, and obviously St. Petersburg yesterday. Uh, just a, just a wonderful experience. People in Russia could not have been friendlier, more welcoming to, to even think about the fact that this is over. Uh, I know, you know, it's also tiring. So there's definitely a part of the, of, people that are kind of ready to be done with it and go back home to their regular lives. But I don't know. I'm not on that page. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually very, very sad that this is coming to
1: an end. I echo those uh, sentiments. It's been a lot of work for a lot of people. Uh, and we've had a wonderful time and, and to a certain extent you don't want it to end, but it will end. Uh, we want to finish strong. Uh, as we mentioned, the, sem- the, uh, the third place game on Saturday that we will be doing. And then the, uh, the big game on Sunday between France and Croatia, for the champions of the world. Okay, normally I would give you my final thought here, but we've had some incredible news, and so we wanted to make sure that we we talked about that. So on the other side, we will uh, talk about something spectacular that has happened that you cannot do a soccer podcast without at least mentioning. So, moving on. All right, yes, it happened. There was talk of it happening. Not a lot of talk, but ultimately, it happened. Cristiano Ronaldo announced that he is moving to Juventus. He is moving to Italy. He is moving to Syria. Uh, This is big for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is one, if not the best player in the world, uh, is moving to a new club. uh, And he's moving to a league that certainly can use this type of injection of attention and influence. Uh, Number one, Mossi, did you anticipate something like this happening uh, and number 2 that now that it that it is happening what does it say about the player the player that uh, the club that he's leaving in real madrid and the club that he's going to in uh, in juventus and i guess uh, in addition serie a in general for doing something like this
2: yeah, there's so many facets to this. I'll, I'll try to rip through them quickly. Um, I am not shocked because he's never had a good relationship with Florentino Perez, um, the Real Madrid president. Uh, Florentino Perez didn't sign Ronaldo. it was his predecessor, Ramon Calderon. So there's always been a feeling that Perez didn't, didn't fully embrace Ronaldo. He wanted it to be one of his signings, to be starring in all these uh, Champions League triumphs and such. Uh, and the way he, he made him wait uh, with a long time to get that new contract offer. While Messi and Neymar were earning considerably more money, I think really rankled Ronaldo, and was kind of the last straw. Even when the offer came, he he was he was done with it. Uh, he was ready to leave. So, not that shocked. Uh, listen, there's risk involved for all parties, but I think if you know if if you're Christian Ronaldo, if you to the point where I have to leave Real Madrid. I mean, we can debate whether he 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 should want to leave Real Madrid or not. But let's say your your jumping off point is he has to leave Real Madrid. I love the fact that he didn't make a quote-unquote lifestyle move and go to MLS or a league like that. Uh, He wants to stay in the big time. And Juventus, to me, is a great landing spot for him. I don't think at this age he needed the rigors of the Premier League, um, even though Serie A is a taxing league too, but I think not as much um, at this point. Uh, And I think, you know, he's he's going to a very strong team that's been to two Champions League finals in the last four years. And uh, so uh, he's stepping into a great situation there. And for Juventus, to me, this is a risk worth taking. I mean, this is a club obsessed with winning the Champions League. I think Ronaldo definitely still has a couple more uh, big years in him, and this gives him a great chance to win the Champions League in the next couple of years. We'll see. You know, they might have to lose some players to make this work uh, financially, so we'll see what that roster actually looks like. But if they can hold on to less what they have now and you add Cristiano Ronaldo to the mix, I think Juve become top, 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 top contenders to win the Champions League for the next couple of years, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them win it. Uh, from the Real perspective, listen, uh, I feel like Real Madrid and Barcelona both have won the lottery the last ten years and were able to cash those checks every single season. And I, with R- Ronaldo and Messi, I- I'm fine being a year too late rather than a year early. I would, I would have preferred to have squeezed every drop out of this. Uh, and and the specter of him going to another big European club and and leading them past year in the Champions League and winning the Champions League, I think is 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 a lot there. So. To me, this is, this is. I know people say, well, he's 33, going on 34. So to get that kind of money from him uh, is a good move, good business. But I don't know. I don't think there's ever a good business in selling Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you know, I, I think that money would have always been there. Even if he showed a decline the next, like I said, one of those secondary markets, the Chinas or whatever, there always would have been uh, a big money for Cristiano Ronaldo. So uh, be interesting to see what they do. They're, they're presumably going to sign a big star this summer. Neymar, Mbappe, Hazard, Salah, we'll see who it is. And and the underrated Real Madrid subplot is, I think, Gareth Bale definitely stays now and will relish not having Ronaldo there. And, you know, he kind of reinvigorated his brand late last season with the way he played in that Champions League final, that incredible bicycle kick goal. And it wouldn't surprise me if Bale has a, has a big season next season and kind of feels like he's the man there finally. Um, but, yeah, the last thing is sir, yeah, Uh I agree with Gab Marcotti. Biggest signing for Serie A since the original Ronaldo left Barcelona to go to Inter in the summer of 97 it's huge for them uh Serie a had already been back in an upswing again the last couple of years and this shoots it right back up there and yeah you know I'm, I'm big on this whole balance of power between the leagues a lot of La Liga's dominance was down to just having Messi and Ronaldo in their league and they've now lost one of them um you know the summer after losing Neymar to PSG and it's amazing Neymar and Ronaldo both leave La Liga neither of them goes to the Premier League instead they they go to Ligon and Serie A, respectively. So I think the door is now wide open for uh, you know, perhaps Serie A, like I said, if Juventus wins it, or the Premier League to, to wrestle back that belt next season because La Liga is not going to look as imposing uh, without Cristiano Ronaldo around Madrid, I don't think.
1: I love this. Uh, I think that there are no real losers when it comes down to this move of, of Cristiano. You know, when I I get, I get asked, I know you get asked, it's this evergreen evergreen question, uh, question: Messi versus Ronaldo. I always come down on the Ronaldo side for a number of different reasons, but the most important reason is that this is a guy who has done it at multiple places and in multiple teams, and 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 in no way does that diminish what Messi has done. Uh, but we all know that it has been in this 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 wonderful incubator and in this, this wonderful cocoon that was fashioned for him uh, of Barcelona. And you know, that's just the way that it is. I'm not sure we'll ever see him ever play any, anywhere else. But the fact that we have been able to see Cristiano Ronaldo go to different places, that he has made those decisions, and that he each place that he has gone now, he has made them better, sometimes legendary, a legendary status he has achieved. Uh, that's what I love to see. And that's why I come out on that side, because I think there is an additional value to going in different places. Now, some players don't do it and some players don't have to do it. um, But he has done it. And I, and I do think that there's value and I always fall back on that. When I go into this, uh, this conversation, when it comes to Real Madrid, uh, this forces Real Madrid to keep up, you know, they have created this super club and they have almost created the, the template for the super club out there. And this forces them to uh you know, to Janet Jackson. What have you done for me lately now? Uh, you just lost arguably the greatest player on the planet and certainly from a, a uh, image perspective and a business perspective, you gotta find a way to to replace that. And you're Real Madrid. You don't replace that by saying, Well, the team's the star now. No, that's not what you are. You're Galacticos. You you have to go out there and you have to make a big signing right now to make it interesting and to make that brand uh, and to keep it on the level when it comes to the interest level and the ability on the field. And it will, this will force them to do that. As you mentioned, for Serie A, this is great because instantaneous, from an instant standpoint, this league now is relevant. The reason why uh, La Liga for, for a lot of people was was relevant and continues to be relevant is because you had two of the greatest players ever to play the game, playing in La Liga, playing for the best teams in that league. Now, I know that there's many more reasons to love La Liga, and there's many more reasons to love Syria, but in general, in terms of the attention, this attention now gets focused on Juventus in particular, but also on Syria. And I think Syria always will have a, a, a place in my heart, uh, this was this was an inspired move by Juventus that is going to help not just that team on and off the field, but also that league in terms of, of relevancy uh, going forward. It's fun to see. So we benefit as uh, as the viewer. And then you mentioned how this in, impacts Champions League, a team like Juventus that has always been there but hasn't found the, the actual way to do it here you know, making making some big moves, not just not just Cristiano Ronaldo going, but also Gianluigi Buffon leaving. And so this sets up a really interesting next year when it comes to the Champions League, when it comes to the individual players, when it comes to those individual players within new leagues. Um, and I you know I, I I look forward in general watching Serie A, but I look forward to it even more so now after this uh after this news has come out. All right, final prediction then on how this Cristiano Ronaldo in Serie A playing for Juve plays out. Uh, Looking to your crystal ball, and a year from now, will we be looking at this as a phenomenal success as it relates to Champions League and it relates to uh, Serie A for Cristiano?
2: Yeah, I think he has a couple of big years there. And like I said, I think they have an excellent chance to win the Champions League. Uh, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that's definitely going to happen. But to me, they go into next season as one of the two or three favorites for sure.
1: All right, we find ourselves here at the end of the show. Once again, uh, we were recording this very early. Apologies, as always, for the uh, guerrilla-type uh, uh, podcast that we are doing and the audio quality that we have. Hopefully, uh, now that this, is, this will be our last World Cup podcast, uh, and next time you hear us, we will be stateside, uh, hopefully the audio quality will be better. But this World Cup will have come and gone, and, and, but not without leaving a tremendous impact. And so... When it comes to my final thought here, uh, because the next time you hear us will be after the World Cup is done. I just want to reiterate uh, how much fun we've had. And, and I hope that it is translated to uh, everyone that's listening here and certainly to our American audience that we've been broadcasting when it comes to Fox. Uh, I, I hope people have recognized that uh, we, were, we were privileged to see a World Cup that each and every day gave us something new. The soccer gods Uh, They smiled down upon us throughout this last month in terms of these stories, in terms of the surprises, in terms of the drama uh, afforded us on and off the field when it comes to this World Cup, and uh, which is why I have no problem saying that for all of those things, this has been the best World Cup that I certainly have ever been involved with, that I have had the uh, privilege of working, and certainly that I have been able to, uh, to watch. And I know I wasn't there in previous ones, so we can certainly argue about that. But each and every day, something new to talk about. And people that are into soccer, it's, it's like catnip. And certainly the amount of people that are just passing by when it comes to soccer, they were lured in. And I, I still get texts and emails and tweets uh, every single day, saying, "Oh my goodness, I can't stop watching this because it had something for everyone." And whether you were a diehard soccer fan or not, I think you have to admit there was something there for you to sink your teeth into. And that's that's what a World Cup can do. It doesn't always do that, but certainly when it comes to this 2018 World Cup here in Russia, uh, I think it did it. Uh, the only thing missing was an American team, and hopefully we'll rectify that situation uh, going going forward. So. The World Cup comes to an end this summer, but fear not. There is a World Cup right around the corner, and uh, we will be talking to you again from a World Cup perspective a year from now in France uh, as the Women's World Cup kicks off over there in France and provides hopefully as much excitement and energy and stories and drama that this one has, uh, has provided us. And I hope you've enjoyed our, uh, our podcast from here. I know they haven't been as consistent, and from a, a quality perspective, uh, sometimes we're, uh, you know, our heads are, are, are all over the place because of our crazy schedule over here, but it's been a pleasure to be able to bring it to you and give you some of the sights and sounds and our reactions uh, to this World Cup. It's been a phenomenal World Cup. And I can't wait to talk to you again uh, back home uh, when we head back, uh, back over there. But until that time, thanks for listening to the State of the Union Podcast. And as always, side's the day.